do this. Let's talk about talk. Well, hello there, Talk About Talk listeners. Welcome to Talk About Talk podcast episode number 40. Also, the last episode of 2019. This one's full of important communication learnings. 19 learnings, to be exact. If you're new here, this is a great place to start. Let me introduce myself. I'm your communication coach, Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. Talk About Talk is a bi-weekly podcast and a weekly email newsletter focused on helping you learn the communication skills that will catapult your career and enhance your relationships. Because when we communicate effectively, we can be a better manager, colleague, parent, partner, and friend. If you're a loyal Talk About Talk listener, then you already know all this. And I thank you again for listening. This podcast will be a great reminder and reinforcement of what we've learned. And we've learned so much. So I spent some time going through the key learnings from the 39 podcast episodes, all the weekly email newsletters, and the five LinkedIn papers that I published over the past year to come up with the top 19 communication learnings we covered in 2019. Before I dive into the 19 learnings, I want you to know that in this audio podcast, I'll be focusing on the learning itself. So not citing off which episode number each of the learnings are from. But if you go to the show notes on the Talk About Talk website, you'll see a summary where you can easily link to the relevant episodes. So you can sit back, listen, and learn. I decided to go with 19 learnings simply because these are from the year 2019. On one hand, it was very difficult for me to narrow it down to just 19 learnings. We learned so much this year. On the other hand, 19 is a lot, at least if I'm trying to memorize them. And honestly, it kind of hurts my brain. So here's what I did. I categorized them. The first category is the words we say. Then there's implicit communication. Then, tips for talking with particular people or in contexts or situations. And last, a few really, really important general or meta-learnings that we should all keep in mind. Let's do this. Starting with the category of the words we say. The first communication skill or learning is mastering our words. We have our language skills. Dr. Josep Gonzalez, the head of school at TFS Canada's International School, highlighted that we can become more sophisticated thinkers by managing our language skills. We should avoid thinking in binary pairs, we should read history, and we should negotiate with philosophical discourse. In other words, recognizing what is fact versus opinion. Ultimately, Josep says that language is a vehicle for authentic democracy. Wow. And in a more specific context of mastering our words, PR or public relations expert Graham Harris shared many examples of how specific words we choose to say can be critical. For example, he highlighted the word never. It is highly risky and oftentimes false to declare that something has never and could never happen. You can just imagine a scenario where an executive makes that mistake and the PR department has to jump in, right? All because of one word. Never say never. Okay, the second learning is how AI or artificial intelligence affects our communication. We had two AI experts share their insights here. There was professor and author Avi Goldfarb, who, amongst other things, shared the fact that our kids' obsession with video games and other technology might not be as bad as we thought, as well as several reasons why we should be optimistic, yes, optimistic, about our future with AI, including how AI can help humans with disaster management. Think about that. How AI can do the things that we really don't want to do. Think dangerous, dirty, or annoying. And then importantly, AI can facilitate business, it can facilitate travel, and yes, of course, it can facilitate communication. Then there was also Kathy Chang, who employs AI and chatbots to derive consumer insights. Kathy's a real consumer advocate, and she encourages us to 
amplify our consumer voice in several ways, including participating in consumer research, voting with our wallets, and engaging in word of mouth. Speaking of AI, hey Siri, subscribe to the Talk About Talk podcast. Just to confirm, would you like to subscribe to the podcast Talk About Talk by Dr. Andrea Hornady? Yes. You are already subscribed to Talk About Talk. Yeah, I knew that. I gotta admit it though, I love doing that. Okay, moving on. The third communication learning in the category of the words we say is profanity. I have to admit I was a bit nervous about this profanity episode, but thankfully it all worked out and it is one of the top downloaded episodes, despite the fact that we had less than ideal audio quality due to a poor Skype connection. Linguistics professor Darren Flynn taught me that most of what I thought I knew about swearing was wrong. Whatever you think you know about profanity, well, chances are it's just not true. My favorite takeaway, though, about profanity was Darren's point that these days, the most profane, the most offensive words in the English language are the ones that are derogatory to minorities. In fact, those are the profanities that Darren himself refused to say in the podcast. Think about that for a moment. Isn't that just wonderful? We now live in a society where the worst possible things you can say, the most profane expressions, are derogatory towards minorities. I love that. Okay, moving on. The fourth learning with regards to the words we say is the power of mantras. Personally, I've always used mantras, but I was surprised at how often mantras came up with our guest experts. Strategy professor Ellen Oster highlighted how mantras can help engage organizations with a consistent and inspired message when they're going through significant change. Tosca Reno, the wellness expert, talked a lot about mantras and the power of self-talk. She even has a two-word mantra tattooed on her wrist. Do you remember what it is? Two words. I am. As in, I am strong. I am capable. And I am a great communicator. Then there's also the mantra that improv actor Sandy Jobin Bevins shared. You either nail it, you succeed, or you come home with a great story. I loved this mantra the minute I heard it, and I often find myself reciting it to myself or to others when someone needs a pep talk. And to the next category, learning number five is the power of implicit communication. So there's some debate in the research regarding the exact proportion of communication that is implicit versus explicit. In 1971, Albert Morabian concluded that communication was 7% verbal, 55% body language, and 38% tone of voice. We covered off body language and using your voice in the first two episodes of Talk About Talk. Executive coach Cynthia Barlow shared some fantastic advice and examples of body language. And baritone opera singer Bradley Christensen used his voice to share his insights about how to best use our voices. And yes, by the way, he has an incredible voice. We covered off several other aspects of implicit communication this year, including communicating with fonts and emojis. Do you remember the font guy? Yes, he even had a license plate that read, font guy. We covered communicating with color. Of course color affects us and other people. As we heard from photographer Lori Ryerson, quilting store owner Daryl Aiken, and decorator Jen Perkis. Then there's fashion and style. Yes, you are what you wear, according to the director of Toronto Fashion Week, Carolyn Quinn. And then we can also communicate with our possessions and with the gifts we give, as we learned from marketing professor Russ Belk. So this learning, number five, implicit communication, is a big one. And I hope you're getting the point here. It isn't just that implicit communication is so significant, but also that we communicate implicitly in so many ways, like gifts, possessions, our clothing, color, fonts, emojis, and of course, body language and voice. 
We are all communicating all the time, even if we aren't aware of it. Moving on to the next category, talking to particular people. We've covered off talking to kids, talking to your doctor, talking to a grieving friend, talking with negative people, and self-talk, talking to ourselves. Okay, let's go through them. Learning number six is how we talk to kids. We specifically covered off how to talk with kids when we're coaching them and also how to talk to kids about mental health. Elite Basketball Camp's owner, Stephanie Rudnick, shared lots of advice on coaching, including truly embracing the ups and the downs as teaching moments, the importance of consistency, not playing favorites, and sharing stories about your personal defeats. Stephanie said she knows from experience as a mom and a coach that your kids don't want to hear about your glory days. What they want to hear about is your epic fails, like when you lost in overtime or when your coach threw a chair at you. Yes, that happened to her, and yes, she told her kids all about it. We also heard from Nicole German, the founder of The Maddie Project, about talking to kids about mental health. I can tell you that this conversation changed the way I talk to my own kids, for sure. She reminded us of three things that we can do to help kids when it comes to mental health. Awareness, empathy, and advocacy. She also talked about the significance of why. So first, children should be able to voice their mental health concerns without knowing why they're happening. That's critical. And secondly, we should be monitoring the youth around us and not jumping to conclusions for why they're acting in a certain way. Nicole highlighted that when kids act out or misbehave in school, the why is probably not because they're a bad kid. The why could be stress or anxiety or depression. So give the kid a break. Great advice. Thank you, Nicole. The seventh learning is how to communicate with another specific person, your doctor. The CEO of North York General Hospital, Dr. Joshua Tepper, had several suggestions for us, some of which I expected and some of which were new. He talked about how to get over our awkwardness. He talked about coming prepared with a prioritized, yes, prioritized list. And he talked about asking lots of questions. One learning that stood out for me from this interview was when I asked Dr. Pepper about how people drive their doctors crazy by Googling their symptoms. Dr. Tepper's answer surprised me, but it actually made sense. He reminded us that this has been going on since the beginning of time, just with different sources. Our sources used to be friends, family, and books. Now it's the internet. He says the most important thing to consider is the quality of the information source. So he suggests that we ask our doctor to direct us to high-quality medical websites. Makes sense. The eighth learning is how to communicate with another person, our grieving friends. Psychotherapist and grief counselor Andrea Warnick shared what to say and do and what to avoid when we're trying to help our heartbroken friends. For example, yes, use the D word. The person died, they are not lost. And, this is a big one, don't try to fix it. She also said that the grieving process is not linear. Rather, it's like a squiggly line, and we need to understand there's going to be ups and downs. So, what should a friend do? Most importantly, Andrea suggests that we just show up. The ninth learning is how to deal with difficult or negative people. Human resources expert Tamara Finley shared the SCARF model, which is something that I think about all the time now with regards to my own behavior and others' behavior. So SCARF is an acronym. S stands for status. C is certainty. A is autonomy. R is relatedness or connection. And F is fairness. When people, including ourselves, believe that any of these five things are under threat, it can adversely affect our behavior. 
So the next time someone's acting incredibly difficult or negative, run through this list in your mind and you might be able to diagnose what's really going on. The 10th learning is how to communicate with another really important person, ourselves. It's self-talk. We actually had three consecutive episodes focused on self-talk, so there's lots to cover here. But let me just list wellness expert Tosca Reno's six strategies for positive self-talk. First, there's the three E's of wellness, eating clean, exercising, and emotional well-being. She calls it her ace in the hole. Number two, practice gratitude. Be grateful. That reminds me. Thank you again, Tosca, and to all of the amazing guest experts. Number three, cherish rituals. So, for example, morning routines or whatever you do before you go to sleep. Number four, meditation. Number five, journaling. And number six, connecting with others. So these are the six strategies for positive self-talk. Thanks to these interviews with Tosca, I've developed some positive self-talk habits, including the ritual of going through a checklist every day that tracks me on many of these recommendations. All right, we are over halfway through the list now. Can you believe it? And moving on from talking to particular people to particular contexts or situations. Number 11 is a unique one on this list, but it's a very helpful skill to have. It's about how to read and write those consumer ratings and reviews. You know, those stars and comments on Amazon or wherever you do your online shopping? Homestar's founder, Nancy Peterson, had a lot to say about this, including how to assess the veracity or credibility of online reviews. A few of her suggestions include, first, the fact that more ratings is not always better. Once a brand has a reasonable number of ratings, start to look at the reviews and the comments. Second, be suspicious if 100% of the ratings are 5 out of 5 or if multiple reviews happen in a short period of time. That can be suspect. Also, read the low rating reviews in detail. Are there trends in why people are dissatisfied? Is it something that you even care about? Great questions to ask. There's also looking at the company's responses to negative reviews. How they respond is very revealing about what kind of company this is. And last, don't forget to check multiple sources. So not just Amazon, but other sites as well, particularly if it's a significant purchase. Great advice, right? Thank you, Nancy. The next communication context, learning number 12, is lumping a few of the topics together under one learning that I call talking taboo. And the learning here is that with a little bit of preparation and thought, we can tackle these taboo topics. These are all important topics that we need to be informed about, like profanity, and in some cases, we need to talk more about them, like youth mental health, talking to our grieving friends, talking to our doctor, and talking about money. Our guest expert, Kelly Harper, who shared advice about talking money, shared a statistic about how parents would rather talk to their kids about sex than money. What? That is crazy, isn't it? But thanks to Kelly and the other guest experts, we now have a sort of a script to help us in these difficult, taboo conversations. The next communication context, learning number 13, is totally different. This context is going on stage and how to do so with confidence. Of course, we can use mantras like we just talked about, right? But the number one thing that we can do to perform confidently on stage is, can you guess? It's practice. Practice makes perfect. Hilary Anger Elfenbein, the professor and stand-up comedian that I interviewed, said that her apparently casual stand-up gigs are scripted right down to the syllable, and she doesn't part from that script. Then there's Elite Camp's owner Stephanie Rudnick, who said that her magic number is nine. That's the number of times she has to run through her speech to get it right. And then there's Sandy Marshall and Sandy Jobin-Bevins, the improv comedians. 
they can't be practicing, right? I mean, it's improv. Well, wrong. The Sandys actually say that preparation is key. They are big proponents of preparing the script, or as they say, the hundred slide deck in advance, but then having an improvised conversation. They also encourage presenters to prepare by knowing their audience, specifically knowing in advance who will be in the room. They like to ask this one question, which I love. Who is everyone going to look at to see if it's okay to laugh? That is such a great question, isn't it? The next communication context, learning number 14, is about social media. Social media guru Andrew Jenkins shared lots of insights with us about how to decide what to post and perhaps more importantly, what not to post. He also took us through the main characteristics, the advantages and disadvantages of the main social media platforms. You know, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, LinkedIn, whatever. He suggests that since they all suit slightly different purposes, we should try using at least two. And which two depends on with whom you want to communicate. So is it friends? Is it journalists? Is it hobbyists? And also, what are you posting? Is it news? Is it photos? Is it quotes? At the time when I interviewed Andrew Jenkins, I was going hard on several social media platforms with Talk About Talk to see which ones would get traction. It turns out that Andrew was right. The two platforms that seem to get the most traction for Talk About Talk are LinkedIn and Facebook. And in retrospect, that makes sense. Talk About Talk is focused on communication skills to help us in our career, just like LinkedIn is, and on our relationships, which I would argue Facebook does best. This is an aside, but if you're not already connected with Talk About Talk on these platforms, I hope to see you there soon. The last communication context, learning number 15, is about email. We can't talk about communication without talking about email. We learned from HR expert Tamara Finley about how email is fast and easy, we can access and reply when it's convenient, it's archivable, and it's easy to copy people. On the other hand, email is limited to one-way communication, at least one at a time, and there's no body language and no tone of voice communicated. That means email is okay for maintaining relationships, but not great for developing relationships. So sometimes, oftentimes, it's advisable to pick up the phone or <gasps> see the person in real life. I know, it takes effort. Email is also the source of a lot of stress. We learned how to conquer our email inbox by doing three main things. Redefining the role of email in our workday, making some behavioral changes like batching, and third, adopting a few high-tech hacks. For example, turning off notifications and prioritizing key senders. I have to tell you that I've adopted several of these tactics and they really, really do help. Okay, we're almost done here. Moving on to the very last category, the most important category of learnings, the general or meta-learnings about communication. The first general or meta-learning is learning number 16, how we want to sound or how we want to be perceived. There are four things that stand out for me here. Confident, curious, authentic, and trustworthy. We already covered confidence to some extent. Then there's curious, curious as in a great listener and someone who asks great questions. Then there's authentic. I had an amazing conversation with the chief digital officer of the CFC, the Canadian Film Centre, Anna Serrano, who defines authenticity as an expression of what you believe to be true at the time that you're telling it. That means acting consistently with the true or real self, as opposed to the fake self, the idealized self, or the superficial self. And last, we want to be perceived as trustworthy. In my conversation with Baron Manet, the CEO of Per Se Brand Experience, we talked about how trust is critical for both humans and for brands. And it's asymmetrical. 
It takes a lot to establish trust, there's no question, but even more to build it back after it's been violated. Barron said that trust is one of those things where it takes a long time to build it and a nanosecond to lose it. And it's a lot more expensive if you have to rebuild it. And aside, Barron also reminded us to use our manners. Please, and thank you. And when there's a transgression, real apologies. Great reminder. Thank you, Barron. All right, three more, and these are the big ones. Number 17 is the significance of listening. We haven't had an episode 100% dedicated to listening skills yet, but I promise you it's coming. When people ask me what I think the number one most important critical communication skill is, it's this, listening. Over the 39 Talk About Talk podcast episodes to date, listening has come up in every single one of them. Consider listening in the context of giving negative feedback, youth mental health, supporting your grieving friends, improv, coaching, and on and on and on. If you're listening, you're bound to be more successful in your communication. Full stop. The next general or meta-learning is number 18, the significance of storytelling. Effective storytelling is such a critical element of communication. For example, there are the stories we tell about ourselves. CEO and team performance expert Michael Boydell suggests that when we create our personal brand, our story, we should start with a blank piece of paper. If it feels uncomfortable, we're on the right track. And we need to actively, not passively, manage the story that we're telling to and about ourselves. In a separate point about storytelling, Harvard professor Jerry Zaltman says that the best storytellers, be they writers or musicians or advertisers or whatever, are the ones that allow a co-participation, a co-authorship or a co-creation with the story or the audience. Jerry says that the best storytellers let the readers fill in the gaps. This is how stories become personally meaningful. And here we are, the last communication learning, learning number 19. I call this one, we are what we eat. It's really about how what we eat, what we think, what we read, and what we say or what we communicate becomes what we are. Professor Jerry Zaltman shared with us the fact that his recent book was inspired by a sign that he read in a farmer's market. The sign said, you are what you eat. And he said to himself, no, you are what you think. And that inspired his book called Unlocked, Keys to Improve Your Thinking. When Jerry told me this, I thought this was very clever, but I had to tell Jerry that my premise, the premise of Talk About Talk, is that we are what we say. Then, several months later, I met Neil Pashricha, the author of the Awesome Book series. Inside the front cover of his most recent bestseller called You Are Awesome, it says in big letters, you are what you eat, you are what you read. Are you hungry? Let's go. Of course that made me smile, and I got to thinking about these dueling mantras. You are what you eat, you are what you think, you are what you read, you are what you say. So which one is it? It's all of them. The point here is that we need to be purposeful. Purposeful about what we eat, about what we think, about what we read, and about what we say. And the whole point of Talk About Talk is that we can learn the skills to be more informed and more purposeful about what we're saying. Phew! That is it. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to the 30 incredible guest experts to date who've shared their insights and their advice with us about how to improve our communication skills. I am so excited about what's coming in 2020. The queue is filling up with some amazing guest experts and amazing topics, including listening and interviewing and lots more. Please let me know if you have any ideas or feedback, or even if you just want to say hi. 
I'm at Andrea at TalkAboutTalk.com, or you can find me on social media. That's it for this year. Talk to you in 2020. Oh, 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 oh